Amen. What a wonderful time of worship, huh? They just kind of kept coming at us with the one-two punch there. Great time. Let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer, okay? Father, we come before you this morning just enjoying worshiping you. And I pray that's true for each of us. I pray that the worship of you encourages and, and strengthens our hearts. For what we've been through, for what's ahead in the week, Lord, I, I just pray that, God, we find life, we find hope. Our lives are anchored to the, to the bigness, to the greatness, to the, to the awesomeness of you. Lord, we just uh, come before you today and, and we lift up to you again our nation. Lord, you, you've, you've called us, you've commanded us to make as a part of our worship the, the, the prayer for our leaders. And Lord, we thank you for bringing us through this week. We thank you, as has already been said today, the, the opportunity to choose leaders throughout our land. That's a, a very unique and a special thing. And Father, as we move forward in these weeks and months ahead, I lift up to you President Obama and uh, his team. I pray you give them wisdom and guidance as they move to close that chapter, as they move to close that, that, that time of his leadership. And I pray it is a, a smooth time. I pray that he gets good and godly counsel on what that looks like and how he should do that. And on the same token, Lord, I, I pray for President-elect Trump. Uh, I, I, I pray for a smooth and peaceful transition to his leadership. I pray you will surround him with good and godly leaders, people that will give him good counsel. You'll guide what he does, when he does it, how he does it, Father. And we pray that he would, uh, he would be dependent upon you, that he would seek you for that. Lord, obviously our, our presidents stand out and, and they're kind of what is on our mind. But Lord, we, you, you know throughout our country we've elected governors and senators and House of Representatives. And I, I pray all the same things for them. Godly encouragement, godly guidance and counsel, and, and just a smooth transition. Uh, Father, I, I, I'm not always sure how much of a Christian nation we are, but I do know that the world looks at America as a Christian nation. And, and I pray that as the world watches the news, as the world watches us in this transition, uh, that, that, that God, that, that you would allow for us to present a good witness. And Lord, it's been a difficult week for some. And uh, they're, they're hurting and they're, they're expressing that and protesting and some of them even violence. Lord, I don't know what motivates and guides all of them. I know for some of them that that, that is a cry of anguish. It comes out of fear. It comes out of loss. It, it, it comes out of difficulty. And I pray for them that, that this week, God, they would see your goodness. And they would begin to find hope and meaning in you. And, and I pray you'd minister to and reach them in that hurt that they're in. Lord, I know for other of these protesters, it comes out of sin. It's just pride. It's anger. It's rebellion. And, and Lord, I pray you'd restrain that. And, and I just pray that things would even out this week and you would guide our nation again, Lord, to peacefully come through this, this time of transition. We ask for your help um, in that. And Lord, again, on this... Veterans Day, Veterans Weekend, uh, we just thank you for the, the role of our, our military and just pray your guidance on them and that they would remain a force for justice and, and freedom uh, throughout our country and around this world. God, thank you that you hear our prayers. And I pray that right now we're, we are giving thanks to you, God, create in us a heart of gratitude. Lord, I pray right now each one of us can think of something we want to thank you for. 
Lord, I know that, that some right now, maybe it's a little bit difficult giving thanks just because of the circumstances. There's, there's hurt, there's loss, there's confusion. Um, Lord, I pray you'd use today's message to give some hope and to give some direction, especially when we're not feeling the good things, but we're feeling the loss and the, and the confusion. Lord, guide us through this time. Open up your word to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we, uh, boy, woke up to a little bit of a cool morning, didn't we? I was halfway down the street before I realized I couldn't see out the window. Uh, is there any other like that? You think, I'll just turn on the frost and I'll look through that little tiny hole and you drive like this. I got to the stop sign and couldn't see at all. And I thought, okay, I probably look stupid right now. But what was even funnier is there was a car in front of me doing the exact same thing. So uh, anyway, man, gosh, we are just moving into the holiday season now, aren't we? Gosh, we get, we, you know, we get back next Sunday. It's Thanksgiving week. I mean, here it comes, ready or not, Right. We are, we are into it. Well, in this Thanksgiving season this year, we are doing a, a series. We're spending some time on Thanksgiving and, and a little bit more than just a series of messages that say, be thankful. I mean, y- yes, that is what it's saying, but we're, we're getting to the why of that and introduced something last week that maybe a word you hadn't put with gratitude, and that's the word protection. We're not talking about gratitude as a neat quality We're not talking about gratitude as something that it's good to be, but really as the protection that it brings into our life. Gratitude protects our our relationship with others. It can protect our outlook on life. It can protect our relationship with God. And those three things are is what we introduced last week, and they're kind of the titles for each of these messages. Last week, relationships with others. Today, outlook on life. But but you know what? While I present this as kind of three distinct things, it, it's not, is it? I mean, it's really, you, you could say at the end of this, these three messages kind of sounded similar. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to. You, you don't really separate relationships with others and God and outlook on life. I mean, our, my outlook on life affects how I approach others, doesn't it? And, and how I approach God. And, 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 and my relationship with God and my relationship with others shapes my outlook on life. So it's all, it's all mixed up in there together. And so there'll be some real similarity. But there's also some distinctives. Like today, we're going to look at a, at a hero of our story and how gratitude... And we're going to see something that's not about as much relationships, while relationships are all about this, but what it protects in his outlook, some distinctives, how it keeps him from looking at life through anger and bitterness, looking at life as a way of revenge, how it keeps him in a position to be successful, how it keeps him in a position to keep from morally failing. And, and, and the hero that we're talking about today is... Uh, Maybe my favorite hero, Joseph. And, and you know, I'll tell you honestly, any verse I read is my favorite verse. Any character I'm studying becomes the most important character in the Bible. But, but if you've been around here much, you know that I preach from Joseph's life probably more than any other person in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there may be an element of this message today where some of you will say, I think he's preached this before. This sounds similar. Well, Yes and no. No, it is a different sermon. But yes, I have used the life of Joseph a lot of times as a springboard into a a, a message or an idea. His life just provides so much 
for us to, to learn from and, and to garner from. You find Joseph's life uh, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, at the end, verses, uh, or chapters 37 to 50. So it's a big chunk of, of one of the biggest books of the Bible. And uh, I don't know, probably take you 15, 20 minutes to to read chapters 37 to 50. And I, I promise you, money back guaranteed, that would be a great investment of your time this afternoon or, or sometime this week. It, it is such an inspiring story of faith and of forgiveness. And I think that you're going to find motivated. What's the faith motivated by? What's the, the forgiveness motivated by? Gratitude. Gratitude. So it's a big story, it's a long story, there's a lot going on, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you kind of the cliff notes uh, of Joseph's story, and and I'm going to take a few minutes here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take about 20 minutes just to tell you his story, and then we'll get to the sermon, okay? That's kind of scary, isn't it? But I'm going to make a promise that I've never made before. Once I get the story out, now you've got to let me get the story out, right? But once the story is out, the sermon will be two sentences, Okay? Y'all, now, I did it the last service, so I'm saying this with a little bit of confidence now. But y'all, now see, once I'm done telling the story, then I'm going to, for the first time ever, do an entire sermon in, in two sentences. Let, let, let's see if that happens. Don't, don't clap for that. What the? Okay, I get to 20 minutes first, okay? <laughs> okay, so the life of Joseph. And I, and I know there's going to be a probably a good number of you in here that are familiar with the story and and how it unfolds. But you might remember Joseph uh, has God visit him in a dream. And about the age of 17, and God says, Joseph, man, I'm going to do something awesome with your life, great with your life. You're going to be a, a leader of a nation, a leader of people. I'm going to use you to provide. And so God just comes with this kind of something we hear a lot today, right? God loves you and has a great plan for your life. You ever heard that? I mean, God says that personally right to Joseph. I love you and I got a great plan for your life. And wow, the next thing that happens is anything but his assent to a great plan. What happens next is Joseph has 10 older brothers and they are crazy jealous of Joseph. And that's mostly dad's fault. And that, that's a, here again, there's just so many directions you can go with his story. We're not even getting into what dad did in this family. But, but because of dad, the brothers were just super jealous of Joseph. And, and so one day, you know, none of them as an individual would have done this. As a matter of fact, it's kind of what we're watching on the news right now, right? Individually, we can be good people and we wouldn't do something. But, but we get in a mob and all of a sudden, we, things can kind of get carried away, right? All of a sudden, we're saying things we wouldn't normally say, doing things we wouldn't normally do. Well, these ten brothers became a mob. And, you know, they, they pushed Joseph kind of in a circle back and forth. And pretty soon, they were beating him up with the intent to kill him. I mean, folks, they're about to kill their own brother. I mean, literally, one brother says, well, time out. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe murder's a little far. And so they do the much kinder, gentler thing. They sell him into slavery. Now, you know, I guess all in all, that's better than being killed. But my gosh, folks, is it hard to imagine? How do you process for the rest of your life on this earth? How would you process that vision of watching your family? Picture your siblings, a a crazy uncle, uh, your parents, and and they're exchanging money for your life. 
How do you, how do you see that and are ever right again? And that's what he's, that's what he's witnessing. And, and so he is sold into slavery, carried off by these slave traders. They take him to Egypt and they sell him there to a guy named Potiphar. Now, another interesting aspect of Joseph's story. Man, this cat has the ability to land on his feet all the time. I mean, it's like a special gift. Doesn't matter what distance you drop Joseph from, he's going to land on his feet. And so he's there. He's in slavery. That's not good. But, but, Potiphar begins to, Potiphar is kind of like what we would call head of the secret service. He's captain of the bodyguard for for the Pharaoh. And uh, along with doing that, it appears he's probably a pretty astute businessman, got a lot of holdings, maybe some rentals, uh, just got a lot of business stuff going on. And so now he owns Joseph and he says, okay, Joseph, I need you to go over and take care of this this week. Well, by the end of the week, that thing is working better than it's ever worked before. I mean, just one week. So Potiphar scratches his head and says, huh, hey, okay, I need you to go back and keep managing that. But also, would you check on this property for me over here? And like three days later, that property's doing better than it's ever done before. And this just keeps happening. Well, pretty soon, Potiphar says, tell you what we're going to do. You just run everything I have. Because you are clearly the golden boy. Okay, so Potiphar turns over everything to him. And he's running it. And things are going, you know, all in all, pretty good. And then, and then Potiphar's wife shows up. Now, Potiphar's wife, uh, married to Potiphar, right? Y'all understand all the vocabulary there. <laughs> she, she starts to take a liking to Joseph. Says he's a young, good-looking man. And she starts to, uh, how do we say, make herself available. Every day. Over and over and over. <laughs> I mean, she just keeps coming to him and saying, hey, how about you and I? And, and he's like, no, you know, shucks. And no, we shouldn't do that. That's not right. That's not good. And, and we can't do that. Well, she, she keeps pressuring. And, and you know, folks, I mean, there's a, I, mean, I mean, we're in church, so we all know that's wrong, right? But then there's how we kind of sometimes can start naturally thinking. You know, hey, maybe why shouldn't I? Oh, God comes and makes this big promise to me. Where's God? I mean, really, where Joseph is at this moment, couldn't he? Wouldn't he be a candidate to say, I feel a bit abandoned by God? I mean, you know, I've been abused. I've been betrayed. I've been sold into slavery. Hey, God, could you just keep your great plan for my life? You know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slave. I mean, you know, things aren't working. Why? Hey, why can't I have some fun? Why can't I enjoy something? What's it, what's it going to hurt? But you know what he says? He, he says none of those things. Look, look how he responds to her. Genesis 39 says, He refused and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything he has in my charge. You're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know know what stands out to me in this statement right here is number one, he's thinking about his master. And number two, he's thinking about God. I mean, again, couldn't he very easily... I mean, it's a master, you're a slave. You know, it's not like we celebrate Boss's Day in that world. And what's God? God's abandoned them. Where, where, where's God? What, what good is God? And yet, he's in a place in his life where in all that miserableness, he's saying, hey, wait a minute. What, what, what honors my boss? What honors my master here? What honors God in this moment? 
Folks, it appears to me that, that, that Joseph is making a choice. It's not natural. It's not based on what he feels. It's not because he's thinking about all the good and wonderful things in his life. He is choosing to think about what God has provided, not what God has not provided. He is choosing to think about what his master has provided, not what his master has not provided. Now, that's, that's super easy to say, folks, but these phrases, what he has not, hey, th- that phrase right there, that causes pain, doesn't it? There's pain in that phrase. There's loss in that phrase. There's hurt in that phrase. There's betrayal in that phrase. There's abandonment. It's not just so easy to say, oh, I just choose to focus on the good stuff. Let me say this, and I'm going to say this a couple times this morning. I am not presenting to you today an idea of positive thinking. That, 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 that's not what's going on here, is the, is the power of positive thinking in your life. That's not what he's doing. He's not thinking positively, and I'll show you why in a moment. But he is making a disciplined choice to focus on what God is doing. And you might say, well, what, what is God doing? God loved him. God gave him breath. God gave him today. I think Joseph would list some other things. That's just two things I can call it. Well, what has his master given him? Well, his master trusts him. His master is giving him opportunity. His master is letting him do what he's, what he's good at and, and looks to be succeed at it. So he's making a, a clear choice here. And gosh, it would be so cool right now to say, and look what happened because, because Joseph did honor and obey the Lord. I mean, wouldn't this be a good place to, and look what happens. Now all these good things come flooding into Joseph's life because he does the right thing. He doesn't, doesn't give in to temptation. He honors God. But boy, folks, what happens next isn't what you want. Potiphar's wife's feeling a little bit scorned. And so she goes to her husband and says, uh, hey, a guy over there tried to rape me. So he's been falsely accused now. And, and while Potiphar clearly liked him, clearly liked what he could do for him, I mean, you can't, you can't rape my wife. So he throws him into prison. Fal- falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. I, I mean, his life just... You ever feel like, gosh, every time I, I turn the page on a new chapter, I stumble further downward? That's where, that's where Joseph is, man. You know, hey, next, the next thing, the next day just, just brings something worse. And so now he's in, you know, all of a sudden slavery doesn't sound so bad, does it? Now, now, he's, now he's sitting there in prison. H- how do you begin to process that? I'm going to say that here's how he processed, processed it. He got up and he took on that day in a way to honor the Lord. Well, how do you know that? What verse says that? Well, it's not as much a verse that said it as, watch this. Remember, now I said, guy can land on his feet, right? You remember me saying that? So now he's been thrown into prison. Watch what happens when he's in prison. Genesis 39, the warden turns the prison over to him. The keeper of the prison paid no attention. Now, by and large, don't we pay wardens to pay attention to the prisoners? You know, hey, you're, no, you're, you're supposed to pay attention. Watch these guys, Right? The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Anything Joseph was over, anything Joseph was doing, that's good, I don't even have to watch that. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Now, you know, here's what I find interesting about this statement, is you've got an unbeliever saying the Lord was with him. Now, when I, when I, th- this is a different world than you and I live. When I say unbeliever, I'm not saying this guy was an atheist. I, I don't know that. As a matter of fact, I'm quite sure he was not 
an atheist. What I would assume and probably be right is he worshipped a multiplicity of gods. He would have worshipped the god of the sun in Egypt. He would have worshipped the god of the Nile in Egypt. He, he, he would have had gods. But he didn't worship the Hebrew god. He didn't worship Yahweh. He didn't worship the Lord. And yet he sees something in Joseph that says, hey, if the Lord is real, he's with that guy. Now, doesn't that make you want to know what was he watching? What, what, what did he see Joseph do? What did he see him be that he said, man, if there's a Lord, if that's real, he's with him? Did, did he see him wake up and worship and sing? What, what, was, he, was he walking by his cell one day and he could hear him and realize he's in horrible, miserable. There are no things. Oh, I'm so thankful for the, the fresh rat we got to eat last night. I mean, really think of where he is, how miserable it is. He's not running through it. But did he, did, did the warden walk by and think, man, he's in there giving thanks. He, he's in there giving thanks in this situation. Maybe he watched Joseph come out of his cell each morning and just take on life with a sense of, of, of purpose and meaning. I mean, how much meaning, how much purpose is there in, in, in prison, doing prison stuff? But whatever it was, Joseph seemed to have it. Joseph seemed to carry it. And he said, man, if there's a God, he's with him. Well, as the story continues to unfold there in the prison, Joseph meets two guys that were actually on the, on the Pharaoh's cabinet. And uh, Pharaoh had gotten sideways with him, didn't care for him much. And so threw these two guys into prison. Joseph gets to know them. And uh, one day they have a dream and uh, both of them separately, and, and Joseph able to interpret that dream, and his interpretation comes true. Doesn't work out so well for one of them, but, but for the other it does, and, and that other gets out of, out of jail. And, and as he's going out of jail, as he's getting out, Joseph says, hey man, would you remember me in here? Get me out. Say something to somebody. Get me out of here. I so love that portion of the story. Because honestly, Joseph lives life so well. I mean, to me, there's just a temptation for all of us to look at that. He just lives life better than me. I, I can't live like that. I, I, I don't know how he does it. It's just, you know, he's just able to see good in everything. He's got a smile always. But then I hear him say this, and I think, well, now, wait a minute. He's not having fun in prison. I mean, hey, he's going to make the most out of it. He's going to take the day that's been given to him. But hey, if there's a chance, get me out of here. Please get me, get me out of here. Hey, that's real, isn't it? You know, folks, having faith and being thankful is not a call to walk around with a plastic smile on our face and act like everything's okay. That's why I say we're not talking about the power of positive thinking. You know what? Not everything's positive. Not everything's okay. That might sound kind of weird. I thought, I thought we always believed in the very best. Hey, you and I live in a broken, evil world. Now, in this world, God allows us to enjoy and experience a, a lot of good things, right? A little bit of head nodding here. Yeah, we, we enjoy some good things, but they're, they're temporary. And the reality is, in those good things we'll enjoy, we will also experience brokenness. Things break, and sometimes they don't get put back together. They just stay broken. Things go wrong and they, they stay wrong. So this isn't about just think positively. It's about a discipline 
It's about a discipline of seeing good in God. It's about a discipline of giving thanks to Him. And that, that discipline seems to protect and shape His life. I would say it keeps Him in a place. It keeps Him in a place where He's prepared to receive the good thing that God is doing. So that, that, that guy goes out. He says, please remember me. And, and, and can you imagine... Joseph wakes up the next day and he's kind of thinking, I wonder if they're going to call my name down to the front office. You know, surely the guy went and told somebody, right? Surely he's going to get me out of here and went to bed that night. Nobody, no, Joseph, please come down to the front office. Next day went by. I mean, if that's you, aren't you kind of hoping? You're anticipating a letter, a call? Well, it wouldn't have been a call, but you know what I mean. Wonder what he was feeling like a month later. The scripture actually says Joseph came to the place where he realized he was he was forgotten. He's forgotten. You know, folks, we're not talking about a bad summer in Joseph's life. We're not talking, oh boy, you remember 2009? Gosh, what an awful year that was. We're not talking about a bad year. That moment where he's been forgotten, you know how long ago it was? That God said, I love you and I've got a great plan for your life. It's 13 years ago. 13 years of betrayal, abuse, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned, just horrible, miserable circumstances, and now forgotten. I mean, if you were here last week, you remember Malcolm? Wouldn't you say Joseph has a right to be Malcolm? He has a right to be miserable and he has a right to make everybody around him miserable. I mean, really, what would you say to Joseph to, to tidy up this little package and, and say, oh, just believe in God, just trust in God, it's all good. What would you say to him? How do, how do you tidy this all up? I don't know, I think in the movie of Joseph's life, I, I, I see the camera panning out and the lights going down and there's just a, a silhouette of Joseph left alone there in the prison. And yet beyond my understanding, he was grateful. Beyond my understanding, he woke up the next day and said, this is the day God's given me. I'll serve him. Because gratitude did protect him. Gratitude did keep him in a place for what God was going to do next. You see, it doesn't actually say this, but I believe God caused, God caused the person to forget. And maybe that was a favor, because really, why would Pharaoh let a Hebrew slave out of jail? He wouldn't care if the guy rots in prison if he's totally innocent. So what? So, so maybe God led the guy to forget so that he wouldn't give the information at the wrong time. But a little bit later, the Pharaoh would have a need, and that guy would go, Oh, wait, your need? Uh, guy in prison, Joseph, man, he's all about that he can do this. They go and get Joseph. And literally, folks, overnight, overnight, he goes, I mean, what's he look like in prison? Oh, probably smells a little bit, right? He goes from being stinky and dirty and in a prison to overnight being the second most powerful person in the world. Because Egypt's kind of on top of the world at that time. And he is overnight made prime minister, made second in authority under Pharaoh. And anytime anybody goes to Pharaoh, you know what he says? Ask Joseph, he'll tell you what to do. I mean, overnight, just like that, everything's fixed. 
He can have whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. He can go wherever he wants. And guess who walks through the door? His ten brothers. They're not there to see him. They don't know that that's him. That's where they're there because there's a famine in that whole region of the world. And Egypt's the only one who has food. Guess why Egypt has food? Joseph. And so they come looking for food and they're, they're directed to Joseph and they come walking in the door. He immediately recognizes his ten brothers, especially as a, as a group. Did you know they don't recognize him? They don't, even know, they don't even know who he is. How do they not know their own, own brother? Well, a moment ago I used the, the, the number 13, it was 13 years ago. Well, actually, seven more years have now been added and more than likely another one or two. So this has been, you know, they left him 17 years old, bloodied, beaten, sold into slavery. He's now 39, 40 years old. But I don't think it's how the years have changed him. I think it's the context that made him unrecognizable. And last time they saw him, he was, a, he was on his way into slavery. As far as they know, he is a slave somewhere in the world, if, if he's even alive. I mean, hey, 20-some years ago, slavery and longevity aren't friends. He doesn't live a long life as a, as a slave. So they, there's a good chance they don't even think their brother's alive. So they just, they don't even see who he is until he tells them. And whoo, did that make everybody excited. <laughs> Hey, Joseph's alive, and I've got about five minutes, and I'm dead. I mean, what would you be thinking right now? I mean, would you not be thinking, I'm toast? You know why you'd be thinking that? Because that's what we would do. That's what we do. I mean, he has all the authority in the world to get even. As a matter of fact, you don't pick this up in the story, but you, you know, he already has shown that revenge is not driving his life. Because in his position, do you remember who I said was head of the secret service? Potiphar. He's now over Potiphar. Put me that first day. Hey, go get Potiphar and his skanky wife. I got something for them. <laughs> no, that's not what he does. Now he's got his 10 brothers in front. What does he do? What do you do? Man, I'm going to have fun with this. I throw him in jail. Torture them? Or am I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very generous today. Just behead them. Three minutes. Just be done with it. They come in. You know what? Here's the crazy thing. You know, I, I would imagine inside they feel bad about who they are, about what they've done. They're sorry. But, but you know what comes out of their mouth? Hey, Joseph. Uh, Dad said you're supposed to forgive us. What? You know, if, if I came to you and I said, you're supposed to forgive me, that's not an apology, is it? That's not me being humble. That's not me being repentant. That's not even me kind of saying, I'm sorry. I'm actually telling you what to do now. You're supposed to, you're supposed to forgive me. Dad, hey, Dad said you're supposed to... They don't deserve to be forgiven. Now they're acting even worse. What, what does he do? Folks, I want to show you a verse... And, and, and I don't think it's quite appropriate to say this. There, gosh, there's so many good things in the scripture. There's so many one-liners. It's like God just made a living on one-liners. He's good at it, right? But I think maybe Genesis 50-20 is the most profound verse in the Bible. Now, obviously, that's just a, a statement of opinion. But you, you talk about grasping life. 
I, I think this could be the most profound verse in the Bible. Now remember, they've come in. He's revealed who they are. Some more time is unpassed and they know there's this tension. They say, Dad said you're supposed to forgive us. And, and he knows they're scared. And he says, listen, as for you, you meant evil against me. Now here again, that's, to me, I put that phrase kind of in the same group as, get me out of here. Okay, he, he's getting ready to forgive them. And it's not based on being a nice guy. It's not based on what they did was no big deal and it all worked out. No, he says, hey guys, you know what you did to me? That was, that was evil. I mean, evil's a hard word, isn't it? I mean, you would probably take it differently. if That wasn't very nice. And if I said to you, that was evil. You'd feel one over the other a little bit more, wouldn't you? He said, guys, hey, what you did to me was evil. And I very well could have spent the last 20 years of my life just, I mean, who would blame them, would you? How would you not stay honed in and focused on that evil and it would begin to shape you into a person of hate and anger and bitterness? It would shape you into a person of revenge. We know from the story it very well could have led him into sexual immorality. That same hate could have led him into a place where he was just so undone with life he wouldn't have been able, no matter what environment he landed, to take on wherever he was put and live it well and live it for God. I mean, that, that, you meant it for evil. And I could have spent my life focused on that. But instead of focusing on the evil you did, I focused on God and what he meant for it. The good that he meant by it. I mean, folks, here's the choice. I'm going to focus vertically, vertically or I'm going to focus horizontally. If I focus horizontally, it's going to be disappointment sooner or later. The best people hurt you. The best people disappoint you. The best people let you down. We're going to focus horizontally or we're going to focus vertically. And he says right here, I, whoop, yeah, I'm going to focus, I'm going to focus on God and the good that he meant in this. Folks, think how that shaped his life. Think how that, that protected him. Think how that kept him in a place where God could do what he was going to do. I wonder how many of us Man, we were on God's path. We were on God's plan. And we stepped off the path in our anger. In our lost faith. In our lost hope. In our sin. We stepped off the path. That doesn't mean God can't do what He's doing. It just means we're not a part anymore of what God is doing. And it, 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 it kind of makes things tense. It maybe sets things off time. But Joseph never got off the plan. He stayed right there with the Lord. Only gratitude can do that. He used the word good. When I use the word good, I'm grateful, right? When I'm feeling good, when I'm experiencing good, that's, that's when I'm thankful. Now, you might say, well, what, what is the good? It was the good that everything worked out? No, I want to show you a, a twin sister to Genesis 50-20. I, I, I want to show you the New Testament version of the Old Testament, Genesis 50-20, and it's Romans 8-28. Look at this up here. And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, I want to be real clear what that does not say. It does not say that all things work out good, because they don't. We already know that. We can look around life and see things that, that broke and they didn't get fixed. Things that, that got bad and they, they stayed bad. This is not saying that all things work out good. It's saying all things work together for, you could almost put the word, the good. 
Let's keep reading. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And folks, here's the purpose. Here's the good to be conformed to the image of his son. The good that all things are working toward is that when this life is done, you will look like Jesus And here's the really crazy thing. Then you'll step into heaven and you'll be rewarded as if you were. Now that's the miracle of all miracles, isn't it? And that's the thing. Every single day we can wake up and thank God for. Man, I sure didn't like what happened at work yesterday. But God, it's in your hands. And I know in some way you're going to use that so that when you're done, I'm going to look a little bit more like Jesus in this whole thing. That's the good. Now, who, who's this promise made to? To those who love God, to those who come to him through his son, Jesus Christ, to those who are called according to his purpose. That, that means I'm a part of what God is doing. I love him and I'm fitting into his purpose. And with those two things in place, I've got a promise. That rape, that betrayal, that abuse, that, that lost dream, that, that failed business. God says there's nothing random. There's nothing meaningless. There's nothing evil that will ever touch you that I promise I won't use. So that when we're all done, you're going to look just like the very son of God. There's the story. Now my sermon What God is doing in your life, first sentence, what God is doing in your life is making you look like Jesus Christ. Second sentence, gratitude keeps you in the game. Let's pray. Father, you know how difficult that is to live. Lord, there are moments that we feel good. There's moments that we're enjoying life. There's moments that we stop and acknowledge good things. But Lord, there's much in this world to be hurt by, to be disillusioned by, to be confused by, to be, to be angered by. God, thank you for a promise that we're not just rolling down the stream of life waiting for the next meaningless evil hit but that you're good and you're in control and you will use everything for good in my life to make me look like Jesus, to make us look like your son. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for that insight. Because Lord, you know from day to day, we can't always tell this is what's happening. So thank you for your word that gives us insight into what is going on, to what you're doing, to what is happening. Oh God, with Joseph in the back of our mind, may we be so diligent to build the discipline of gratitude in our lives. Because we know, we know we can get so overwhelmed at times by what we don't have, by what hurts, by what's broken. God, may this very day we begin the discipline of gratitude like our lives depend on it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.